Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. Hey guys, I'm Dave. Um, we haven't been around for a while and I feel like I almost need to in- reintroduce myself. Um, and actually, I probably don't know half of the church here because there's lots of visitors, so I am Dave. Hi. Um, so <clears throat> we are laying turf in our backyard at the moment. And, and Beck smiles inquisitively. I'm really excited about this. I've always really wanted a lush green lawn. It's just, I don't know one of the things I really want. So we've, we've got lots of kids, smallish yard, we've had cooch turf and it's never really done what I wanted. So we're doing it. Um, James and Mel did it recently. They've laid turf down. I don't know if you've been to their place. It looks beautiful. That's kind of what I'm hoping for our place. So <clears throat> yesterday I went off to Wars End Library to get some peace and quiet and, and f- kind of finish off this talk and left back at home um, to, to work on the, the lawn. And if you're looking for a nice and peaceful and quiet place to go and do some work, don't go to Walls and Library. Um, <clears throat> it's a great library, but peaceful and quiet it is not. It is just crackers there on Saturday morning. So anyway, laying turf, it's, um, it's not that complicated, but there's a bit of a process. So we killed off the grass a couple of weeks ago, so it um, doesn't kind of grow up through the new turf. Um, then you, you've got to till the soil and then you um, lay down some soil um, underlay and then you can bring the, t- the turf in. And so yesterday I left Beck behind to till the soil. She was on the hoe. Um, and if anyone, if any of you know Beck, you'll know that, you know, that's, that's what you'd imagine her doing. Um, she's a good Tamworth girl. You take the girl out of Tamworth, but you can't take the Tamworth out of the girl. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a fairly big machine, uh, a hoe, um, and it's, it's pretty heavy to lug around, and it was stinking hot yesterday. And so I'm at the library. About an hour in, I get this f- selfie from Beck. She's wearing her big, Kate just saw it then, she's wearing a big gardening hat. Her, re- her face is as red as a beetroot. She's sweating profusely, dust all over herself. She is done. She is kind of, she actually probably overdid it. Um, she was cactus, but um, she was kind of at the end of herself physically. And <clears throat> we're reading through this story of Jonah and we're getting to the end today. Today's the last week. Um, and you kind of get a sense that Jonah's at the end of himself as well. He's just frazzled, he's worn out. Um, and it's obviously he's kind of completely misunderstood both his mission and God's mission. And I don't know about you, but I love books like Jonah. Um, it's just a great reminder that the Bible isn't just a, a formulaic textbook. It's raw, it's intimate, it's surprising, it's kind of confounding at times, it can be mysterious. Um, if you can read through the Bible, the whole Bible, and not say, what the heck, at least a dozen times, I don't know, you're not like me, I, you know, it's a fascinating book. And Jonah is, is kind of a bit like um, Job and Ecclesiastes, where you've got these characters that just go toe-to-toe with God. They're asking the difficult questions, and they're not getting simple answers back, and sometimes they get more questions in return, and maybe even 
some mystery and um, I just love that. And, and another thing when you think about a story like Jonah is that the Bible just lays it all out warts and all. Um, it's just full of people that are full of doubt, full of failings. Um, you know, there's no, I can't imagine another religion or a group that would make the stories that are, full, that are in the Bible kind of their book of books. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. So we've called this series Running to Revival. And I think that's a great title for the first three chapters of the book. And now we're in the fourth chapter. And it takes a bit of a turn. And so we've kind of had this crazy ride of running and repentance and revival. And now, and I'm, I'm not really sure what the right word is, it's whether indignation, it's kind of you know, running to revival and indignation. It doesn't really roll off the the tongue does it so we just we stuck with running to revival um, so quick recap for the people anyone amongst us that don't know the story of Jonah probably not um, there's two acts act one Jonah a prophet in the north of Israel is called to go to Nineveh preach judgment against the Ninevites and Ninevites are the neighboring country of Israel and there are people full of violence and bloodshed and injustice and Jonah a prophet his job description is pretty much one line, to do and say whatever God says to do, does the exact opposite. He runs the other way. He jumps on a ship, um, runs into a huge storm, a tempest, um, eventually is thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a giant fish or a beast of the sea and he goes down to the bottom of the ocean. And eventually he cries out to God, God hears his cry and he's rebirthed. He's kind of spat back up onto dry land and that's the, end of, that's the end of Act 1. And then Act 2, Jonah is given a second chance and this time he takes it. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the word, all five words. It's a five-word sermon. And this great city, this great wicked city repents. Even the king, just like that. And God sees their repentance and relents <clears throat> from his destruction. And so we've had this crazy story. And th through it, the guys have been um, showing us these themes. And one um, is that God is everywhere. There is nowhere that we can run from God. And we're reminded of that beautiful passage. And it's actually my favourite passage in the Bible. So I'm going to um, take liberty and read it. Psalm 139. <clears throat> O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know where I sit down and where I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where should I go from your spirit? Or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, to the dark, if I say surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. And what a comfort that is, that even in the depths, even when we feel surrounded by darkness, and I'm sure there's people here, 
that have felt that in the past and maybe are feeling it today, that God is there with us. Second theme, that God's very nature, and, and Kate read it today, God's very nature is one of loving kindness. He's full of mercy. And if we turn and repent, he'll forgive us. And thirdly, that God has his plan, this plan of mercy and forgiveness and blessing that extends for the whole earth, even the wicked Ninevites. So we are in chapter four, as I said. And we've gone through the crazy, and now we kind of, the, the focus kind of zooms in a bit to just God and Jonah. And they're talking, and it's kind of an, a debate. They're talking about what's happened and what it means. So before we, um, now we'll just get stuck in. So I'm just going to go back to the start of the section. And Mick covered this last week. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented and God relented of the disaster that he said would be done to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life. It is better for me to die than live. So as Mick um, <clears throat> went through this last week, Jonah is declaring here, even kind of confessing the kind of senselessness of his rebellion. The reason he ran away is not because he didn't understand God. He knew God. He's kind of quoting that famous verse from Exodus. He, know that God's full, he knows that God's full of mercy. God knew that he'd show his mercy to the Ninevites. So Jonah's here saying he ran away because he didn't want God to save the Ninevites. And then we have this strange little story of Jonah sitting outside the city waiting and watching. So Jonah went outside the city, sat to the east and made a booth for himself there, a little shelter. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching hot wind and the sun beat down on his head and Jonah, on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So what's he doing? He's, he's sitting outside the city and he's waiting to see what would become of the city. He wanted to see whether God would fulfill his judgment. He wanted to see their destruction. And, and so Jonah, who has just kind of come through this amazing experience of being in death's door in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea and being saved by God, is saying, no, I'm happy for Nineveh to be destroyed. And Jonah is a bit of a picture of Israel itself. And so in the same way, Israel, who um, as a nation is a product of God's grace and providence, was also reluctant to kind of see God's grace extended to the surrounding nations. See, they'd forgotten that God's plan was not just for his 
God's chosen people and to let everyone else go to hell. God's plan included all people. As he said to Abraham, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you. And later through Isaiah, he said, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So in Jonah, we see this prophet wanting a God of his own making, really. You know, he, he wants a God who will smite the bad and bless the good. And in Jonah's eyes, the Ninevites are bad and Jonah and the Israelites are good. But the problem for Jonah is that God, the real God, keeps showing up and challenging Jonah with his mercy. And the fact that Jonah, as much as the Ninevites, in desperate need of it. So we see God, as he's done all the way through this story, stepping in. He sends a plant to refresh Jonah. He sends a worm to kill the plant. He sends a harsh wind to make it really uncomfortable. And how does Jonah respond? He's exceedingly glad, exceedingly glad about the plant to, I just want to die. Or because of a plant, it's comical, right? It actually made me think of Monty Python. Are there any Monty Python? Are there any Monty Python fans? Couple of nods. Um, do you know the skit of where the, there's this old British king riding through the woods and he comes to a knight? And there's obviously, it's a Monty Python skit, so there's a guy behind him with that. Um, so he gets to the knight and he wants to get past and, and the, the knight won't let him pass, so the king challenges him to a duel and they fight. And eventually the king lops off one of the knight's arms, like completely gone. And um, kind of strangely, but in typical Monty Python style, they just keep fighting and like blood. Um, and then, you know, keep going, hack, hack, hack. And then the other arm. So the, so the king just lops the other guy's arm off. So there's this guy standing here with two arms chopped off. And the king is kind of all triumphant, expecting to just ride straight past. But the knight, with both of his arms cut off, he's kind of stands up valiant and said, ah, oh, it's only a flesh wound. Where are you going? Come back and fight. It's kind of comical, isn't it? Well, I think it is, um, depending on your sense of humour. But it's kind of this extreme underreaction to reality. And, and Jonah's kind of the opposite. It's an extreme overreaction. Any small thing seems to go from joy to abject sorrow. But before we get all self-righteous about Jonah, um, what if someone was telling your inner story? And would it look so different at times? I've... I know for me, I've had a really busy time lately with work and family and church and um, friend stuff and there's been a lot going on and I'd love to say that I've been able to manage it, that I've been able to give everything to the Lord and just kind of retain this, this godly perspective and peace but I haven't always done a great job of that and like Jonah, there's been times where I kind of, my focus does come on me and my comfort and what's happening, what's going on to me. And it's just, it struck me the other day this week, and I think God's really been preaching Jonah to me. I was driving to work and 
it just hit me that I was getting so upset about the driver in front of me. He was, you know, he was going five k's below the speed limit. It's like, come on, just drive faster. I could be 100 metres further up. And it, it just hit me how ridiculous it was that I'm getting so upset about these little things. And Beck will be nodding knowingly. Um, it's not the only time I've done that. And, you know, I'm really pleased that it's not my inner life that's on display for everyone to read in the Bible. But a couple of things on this passage. One, it's what, one of the cool things about it is that it, it makes it really clear that it's the hand of God behind the scenes. You know, it was God who prepared the fish. It was God who provided the plant. It was God who sent the worm. It was God who sent the wind. And we don't get to see that. We don't get to read that for our story. But it's the same for each of, each of us as children of God. We know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Christian, don't forget that God is sovereign and working in and around us all through our lives. Sometimes, like Jonah's plant, he'll bring us shade and favour and blessing and peace and abundance, and it's lovely. But sometimes, life won't be filled with the shade and the refreshing rain. Sometimes God will bring challenge. And we're to do well to remember that even in those times we're in God's hands. Secondly, Jonah's emotional swings are the result of what? Godliness, keeping his focus on God. No, it's keeping a focus on his comfort. So this guy that could fall asleep in the middle of a tempest out on the ocean, he's a guy that could walk in straight into the middle of a wicked city and proclaim judgment. And because a little plant dies and he gets a bit of a hot breeze, he's all in hot and bother, we see that his focus is on his comfort. Christian, if your eyes are on your comfort more than what God has for you, the likely result is turmoil. It might be exceeding gladness one minute, but sorrow the next. What Jonah, what I think that the story of Jonah says to us here is don't put your trust and focus in your temporal circumstances. Don't even put your trust and focus and hope in God's earthly blessings. Whether it's rain or shade or money, let God be a perspective. Let his eternal blessings be your hope. And thirdly, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to live in this kind of zen-like state of perpetual peace and and joy unaffected by what's happening around us and you know, Jesus cried Jesus got angry Jesus got frustrated with people but he wasn't emotional about his physical comforts it wasn't because he was only focused on his own circumstances so that's a little bit about what's going on with Jonah and that's that's not actually the purpose of this passage the the reason for this little exchange becomes clear in the following verses and it's really the climax of this passage so so god says to jonah do you do well to be angry for the plant and jonah being jonah says yes damn straight i am i do well to be angry angry enough to die and the lord says you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left 
and also much cattle. And this is where God really gets to the point of it. God says, you say you're allowed to care for something you didn't create. So much so that you want to die. But you're telling me I can't care for something that I created? God's saying, I'm the creator. I'm the provider. I get the final say on who gets justice and mercy and what that looks like. Jesus tells a very similar story to the story of Jonah. And it's the, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And, and in that parable, there's two people, obviously. There's the younger son and the older son. But in Jonah, Jonah plays both of those characters, the, kind of the first half of the book and the second half of the book. And, and like Jonah, when people think about the prodigal son, almost everyone goes to the first son, don't they? The rebellious son. He rebels from his father. He takes his inheritance. He squanders it. He lives a life of sin and debauchery. He's living with pigs and eating with pigs. And eventually he sees his true state. And he repents and he, and he um, decides to, um, to seek his father's forgiveness. And everyone, I'm sure, knows that vivid image of the son walking back to his father's house. And even when he's still far off, his father runs towards him and greets him with a hug. You seeing any parallels with Jonah? And then in the second act, because Jesus, interestingly, the point of this story isn't so much the first son. You remember who Jesus was speaking to when he told this story? It was the Pharisees. And so in the second act, we meet the older son. And the older son's the good guy, the faithful guy. He didn't run away. He stuck around, worked the farm, was up early, did whatever his dad told him to do. He's not, he's not running off living a life of debauchery. And he's furious. Why is he furious? He's furious because his, his father is celebrating the return of his brother. And again, does that sound familiar? That's what we're reading in... In Jonah? Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? And his father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This older brother is furious because his father is celebrating. So meat in, these, in those days was a delicacy and the most expensive delicacy was the fatted calf. And so when 
Um, when the father kills the fatted calf and throws a big party, he's saying, this is the greatest day of my life. This is, this is monumental. But that doesn't matter to the, the older brother, does it? He doesn't care that his father is pleased. He doesn't, it's not important to him why his father is pleased. All he can see is that his father is using his inheritance in a way that he doesn't like. What does he care about? He cares about the father's things, not about the father, not about the father's heart. And the father says, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. And, and that was true for that son. The oldest son was the only heir at that time. Everything was his. But instead of seeing the father's joy and wanting him to join in that, all he could do was think about his share of the inheritance diminishing. He was only thinking about himself. So how does the father respond? He says, my son, I still want you in the feast. We're on the edge of our seats. We don't know. Is he going to go in? Is he going to turn around? And what happens? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us. And he doesn't actually tell us in Jonah either. They both end really abruptly. You don't know what's happening. So what's Jesus trying to get across? In the first half of the story, it's really obvious what's going on. This depiction of sin is really clear. The need for forgiveness is blindingly obvious. And, you know, the Father's grace is really clear. You know, everyone gets that. The second half, it's a bit less clear. What is the sin? The brother's the good guy, right? He stayed. And for Jonah, he's from the chosen people. They're the blessed ones. He's fine, right? But in the parable of the prodigal son, there were two sons, one bad and one good. But they're both as alienated from the father as the other. Jesus is showing us that the older brother, just like Jonah, is just as lost or alienated from the father as the younger brother is. Or the Ninevites. So we see these two kinds of lostness. We can be far from God because of immorality or lack of religion. But we can also be far from God because of morality and because of religion. And the challenge for us here as Christians, reading Jonah 4, I think, is to heed the warning of the older brother. Do we need grace just as much as the wicked do? Do we have the Father's heart for the lost? Or do we sit in judgment, as the chosen people did, not willing to share in God's mercy or even celebrate when the lost are found? God doesn't want good people. He wants new people, and we all need his renewing. And he's not just interested in his chosen people or those inside the church. He's interested, desperately interested in every one of us, whether we're black, white, male, female, heterosexual, homosexual, cisgender, transgender, labor, liberal, Christian, Muslim, atheist. And like Jonah, he wants us all to be involved in spreading the good news of the gospel to all the nations. So Jonah went to the city. He preached to the city. 
but he didn't love the city. And that wasn't good enough for God. God says, how can you not love a city with 120,000 people who don't know the right hand from their left? So we need to preach the word and tell the people what's true. But we need to have love in our hearts. You get a 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We need God's compassion. Understanding that we are sinners just as much in need of God's mercy as everyone. So the story of Janet, it's really blatant that his anger, his lack of compassion um, is just so out of place in the face of God's mercy. But what about us? What about you? Is the Christian life for you mostly in the church? with the chosen people? Do we, are we going to enter the city? Are we concerned for their eternal state? What if it was someone who had hurt you or hurt a loved one and they want to know about Jesus? Would you have compassion? Or are you more interested in exacting justice? Or is it for you about staying in the safe zone, sticking in the same socioeconomic crowd as what we've got? Not admitting it, but really, you know, pretty happy with the fact that we don't have the poor, we don't have the messy, we don't have the emotionally unstable here at our church. It's easier if we're all nice Christians, right? Like if we're all older brothers that stick around, right? But like the elder brother, like Jonah, we can become calloused and proud in our position as God's children. We're special, right? But we can forget that we were also once saved. We were at the bottom of the sea like Jonah, completely lost. God showed Jonah his heart for the lost, even the wicked of Nineveh, and he's calling each of us to love the lost. So that's wrapping up Jonah. And, and just, you know, as we do that, we reflect back on those big themes that God is everywhere. There is nowhere that we can run from God. That may not stop us from running from God, but certainly when we're in the depths, that will be a comfort to us that we can't get away from him, that there's no darkness that can separate us from God, that God's very nature is one of loving kindness and full of mercy both for the chosen nation of Israel, but for all the people of the earth. And that God wants us to be a people of mercy, a people full of compassion for the lost. So I want to leave you with this. The, the book of Jonah ends abruptly. And we don't get to hear what Jonah's reply is, but the, the, really what matters is what's our answer. Will you sit... like Jonah, and have kind of ambivalence for the lost? Or will you have compassion? Do you have concern for those in places full of sin? Or are you content in the safety of your Christian community? Are you praying that the gospel will go out to those people in every part of our city and through the world? Are you helping 
to send it there in some way? And do you rejoice when sinners, no matter how messy they are, whether they're friend or enemy, repentant to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your nature, that you are God and you're a good God. You're a God full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love. What an awesome God you are and how blessed we are. We just thank you for this crazy story of Jonah and we pray that you will be speaking into our hearts through its message Lord God we sit here as as your children and we are eternally blessed but Lord may we not become calloused may we not become proud Lord, give us your heart for the lost. Give us your heart for the needy. Lord God, as we go out today into the Monday pulpit, Lord, may we know your presence in each and every way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.